This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Loopcast. I'm Chelsea Damon, and today we have another great report that's been put out by CNA, and we are going to be talking about national security and assured U.S. electrical power, which was released by CNA's military board, advisory board. And I'm very happy to have Vice Admiral Lee Gunn, who is a retired vice admiral, but he is going to be our guest today to talk about this really interesting paper and a different way of looking at national security here in the States. So, first of all, thank you for coming on the show, Admiral Gunn. It's great to be here, Chelsea. Thank you very much for having me. So, for our listeners, um, Vice Admiral Gunn has a very, very impressive background. He served for 35 years in the U.S. Navy. His last active duty assignment was Inspector General of the Department of Navy, and he was also the commander of the frigate USS Barnaby and commanded the Navy's anti-submarine warfare tactical and technical evaluation destroyer squadron. So very interesting background. He also has a really wonderful educational background. He has a bachelor's in experimental and physiological psychology from the University of California, Los Angeles and a Master's of Science in Operations Research from the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California. So um, he's a fantastic guest for this topic. So once again, thank you for being on the show. And just a little disclaimer about CNA. We want everyone to know that CNA is not an acronym and it is correctly referenced as CNA. And it's a nonprofit research and analysis organization which is located in Arlington, Virginia. And on top of this report they've put out, they've got a lot of other fantastic reports on a very wide, broad range of topics. So I highly recommend that people go to the website. So Vice Admiral Gunn, why don't we start off with describing what CNA's military advisory board is and why it was set up? Sure, I'd be happy to do that. Um, Just a bit more about CNA. It's an extraordinary organization. Um, a large group of uh, public service interested um, scientists, economists, uh, engineers who devote themselves to conducting real-world research and analysis to solve important problems, mostly for government organizations. Um, It's uh, got a long and illustrious career dating to the first days of World War II. Uh, for the United States, so it's more than 73 years old. Um, it, it's a great organization for uh, the CNA Military Advisory Board to be associated with. It was a natural that CNA would uh, kick off the Military Advisory Board in 2006-2007 uh, when the organization convened, when the company convened, a group of uh, retired flag officers, flag and general officers, mostly three and four stars, uh, to consider the topic of the changing climate and what the national security implications were of that. 
subsequent to a report that was issued in 2007 uh, on the national security consequences of climate change. There were three reports on energy and economics, talking about national security, economic opportunity, and penalties paid in national security by the United States as a result of dependence on foreign energy sources in particular. And then a fifth report was put out in 2014 having having to do with the very rapid changes that the Military Advisory Board group was seeing in the climate and how those accelerated changes accelerated the risk similarly to national security from climate change. Um, this is the sixth report we've done, a little less uh, exhaustive than the first uh, five, but now a total of about 35 retired admirals and generals have been involved in this. All are volunteers. Um, none are employees of the CNA Corporation. Um, there is no political orientation whatsoever to the individuals on this group or to the group collectively. Uh, what we're interested in are national security topics of tremendous consequence. Um, so this military advisory board continues to exist. Um, we are supported by nonprofit institutions, and we believe that this new issue that we've come to in the last year or so is a natural consequence of the things we've been doing since 2006 portrays a very broad uh, set of risks to America's welfare um, based on the vulnerability of the nation's electrical grid. And so that's why this report is so important. That's why we felt the necessity of publicizing it. And that's why so many of us have hit the road, gone to Capitol Hill, been in the states throughout the country talking about the grid, its fragility, its vulnerability, the importance of um, a solid investment schedule to update the grid. Um, and that's been our motivation through all this, Chelsea. And as you mentioned, the grid is so important to our daily lives, not only our national security, but of course, we rely on electricity and the power to fire up our computers and, and have phones and um, Everything. I mean, everything nowadays in our modern society relies on electricity almost. And this idea of the grid, which was conceived over a hundred years ago and now has a lot of infrastructure issues and vulnerabilities in today's smart age of technology, as we like to call it, um, you know, this can disrupt our daily lives and our national security. So let's elaborate on this because this report really highlights some of the main issues and some of the main problems that we could face um, with a potential catastrophe. Sure, bet. Uh, and you mentioned many of the things that um, we are uh, desperate to have but take for granted uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, think about the last time that your power was out, I mean, truly out, and not flickering lights, but power gone for hours or even days at a time. Many people experience that in Superstorm Sandy. Um, people in the Northeast uh, in 2008 experienced that, and in the early part of the 2000s, um, a very large blackout occurred in the northeastern United States, people at that point recognize, are reminded um, 
very strongly of the dependence of, that we have on electrical power for almost everything in our modern daily lives. And as a matter of fact, all the trends of modernization of our systems throughout the, the, the nation's infrastructure um, assume that reliable electrical power will continue to be there. And the electricity system on which we rely, this distribution network throughout the United States, um, it has four essential problems as we see it. Number one, it's old. There are actually functioning parts of the nation's distribution system that are pieces of the network that are literally 100 years old. Uh, the second is its design. And you can call it design, but that's probably too elegant a term for it. If you look really at the way the electrical distribution system in the United States grew, it, it kind of happened. Um, the next opportunity in the system was matched to the next demand in the system, and the line was strong, and people were hooked up, or, or factories were hooked up. It just happened to us, and never was it a consideration that the system could be attacked or hijacked. Um, there was some consideration to weather, but the third is the vulnerability to natural forces, to weather, um, to um, kind of the natural decay of infrastructure, rust and, and the like. And the fourth is physical attack and now cyber attack by, by humans, intentional attacks and assaults, which are happening with disturbing uh, increasing frequency. Um, so it's so it's old. Its design is outdated. If you can consider it a design, it's subject to weather, and um, now it's subject to both physical and cyber attack. Um, the grid has three major parts in the United States. Um, the the interconnects is what they're called. There's the Texas interconnect, and then there's the rest of the country in the Northeast on the Northeast. Uh, interconnect and the Western interconnect is the other one. Um, within those major grid segments, um, a major problem um, with a transformer or with the loss of control of the electricity on the network can result in truly massive disruptions. Um, these vulnerabilities are well known uh, to people who would do us harm. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about uh, having my conversation with you today, Chelsea, uh, in light of the recent uh, events in Paris, the, the terrible, horrific events in Paris. We tend, when we think about terrorist assaults, when we think about people who want to do harm, we tend to think about attacks on individuals. Um, and they are, in fact, the kind of terrible things that we're imagining. But it's potentially even worse that the effort that terrorists put into those kind of attacks on individuals would be put into attacks on the structure of the electrical network of Europe or the United States. Um, yeah, I, I, we can talk uh, at length about those kinds of disruptions, but... The design of the grid in the United States is such that um, we will have to change the philosophy as we reinvest in modernizing the grid in order to reduce our vulnerability to these kind of malevolent attacks. 
And it was interesting to read in the report that between 2011 and 2014, electrical utility companies reported 362 targeted attacks that caused outages or other power disruptions. And 14 of those were cyber attacks, as you had mentioned earlier, cyber attacks in this new type of warfare that we're dealing with. And the rest were physical in nature. So I was wondering if you could look at this further and maybe talk about some of the well-publicized attacks that have caused major electrical issues and, and failures in our country. Sure. Um, as you mentioned, um, between 11 and 14, uh, there were 362. Um, think about uh, the rest of that statement, though. These were targeted attacks, and they caused outages or other power disruptions. That is, the 362, to some degree or other, were successful. Now, these that doesn't represent the entire number of probes or the attempts to disrupt the electrical system. Um, and so that number is probably far larger. Uh, that even the ones that were successful amounted to an average of one every three days for a total of, for a, a period of three years. One that's particularly notable uh, was on a substation named the Metcalf substation in Northern California. Um, this was a rifle assault uh, from uh, a substantial distance. Uh, conducted by an unknown number of attackers, and by my saying there were an unknown number, you can imagine that none of them have ever been apprehended. Um, the attack simply with rifles, with long-distance scopes, um, took out much of the Metcalf substation. This is one of the principal sources of electricity for uh, Silicon Valley. The um, potential for this imaginative, energetic engine of America's uh, modern economy to be disabled by a number of individuals firing from a distance um, uh, into a substation should be a, a, a real wake-up call for the American people. Uh, there are hundreds of substations like Metcalf distributed throughout the country. There are tens of thousands of electrical transformers um, that are that make up those uh, substations. Um, we, at present, just to illustrate the amount of alarm there ought to be in America about the vulnerability of the grid, the, um, we do not manufacture major electrical step-up and step-down transformers in the United States. We have to go overseas for those. Uh, they're built in Germany. They're built in um, Korea. Um, they cost millions of dollars apiece. We don't keep spares readily available. And so an outage such as the one at Metcalf, although it was worked around very carefully, and major disruption of the Silicon Valley process was not the result. Um, the fact is it took a long time for us to uh, put Metcalf back together and be fully ready to be online. Um, and that's just one attack in one place by an unknown number of assailants for whatever reason. Um, 
many of the attacks, the physical attacks on the system, and perhaps the cyber attacks as well, uh, can be imagined as probes. So if I am someone who wants to do damage to the United States, extensive damage to the United States, and I want to do that by assaulting the grid, you can imagine that I would do a relatively modest probe of the system in a variety of places in order to find out where the real weaknesses were so that the, the genuine assault, when it does take place, and my personal view is it absolutely will take place, uh, could be carried out on the most vulnerable and the most sensitive parts of the electrical grid. Um, we have to do things differently. Uh, and one of the reasons that report, we believe, is very timely is that because of the age and because of the design of the grid and because of its inability to allow us to take maximum advantage of new uh, renewables and generation and distribution um, opportunities uh, technologically, there's going to be a period of a very large investment in the grid. It should not be a period in which we just buy new things that look exactly like the old things and end up with a grid that's, that is that looks very much today, much shinier, much newer, maybe a little more reliable internally, but also no more um, resistant, no more resilient in the face of, of attacks from the outside. So we think these investments are going to be made. We have some recommendations about how they ought to be made and what the preparatory steps should be. Uh, and we think that is a large um, portion of our reason for putting this out in a very timely way. To further elaborate on something you mentioned just a couple of minutes ago about these, what we could maybe term probe attacks, when, when a probe attack is initiated and detected, is there a way to create preventative measures for, say, the next probe? Are there any preventative measures when, you're, when you see someone is attacking or probing the system? I'm sure there are. Um, I can I can quickly get beyond what I know technologically about this about this system. Um, system operators are very savvy in the United States. The electrical distribution system in the U.S. operates at a very high portion, uh, high proportion of its uh, capacity. Uh, that's an economically good thing to do. If you own a system, you want it to operate as near capacity as possible. Um, but that, that means that the operators of it, the people in the transfer and switching stations and the like, and the people at the power plants need to be very savvy, need to be very much on their toes. And I'm sure personally that when they detect these things, they can tell the difference between someone who's just horsing around and trying to see what disruption they can cause and someone who is actually testing the boundaries of the system to see where the weaknesses are. And I'm sure that we're well served by the electrical utilities when they accumulate this understanding of what these probes look like and they share that information. Uh, and as a matter of fact, there are really positive examples of utility operators sharing information uh, as well as electricity among themselves in a way that will make the current grid as it stands as reliable and robust as possible. Um, 
But in the coming days, as we spend what ultimately will have to be billions of dollars upgrading the old electrical uh, grid infrastructure, as we continue to install smart meters on homes, as we make the electrical grid distribution system smarter, a smart grid uh, is one that's more resilient, more uh, that takes a role in defending itself, in effect, against uh, intrusions and attacks. Uh, a smart grid also will permit um, the electrical management of um, electricity generated by renewables um, in a much uh, better fashion than we do today. It will optimize the way we use our portfolio of energy sources from um, coal and gas to nuclear to um, um, wind and solar and other renewables. And those changes will inevitably take place, but they need to do to be made in a uh, in a context of an overall plan to make the grid more resilient. And so the recommendations we make in our report are designed collectively to move in that direction for both the federal government and for the local grid operators. And looking at that, how possible is that considering, for instance, the um, Metcalf substation attack? Um, we don't know how many individuals, but these were individuals that did want to cause harm to the electrical grid in the Northern California region in a place that, you know, Silicon Valley, so much of our economy and security is coming out of that region. Um, you know, it's the tech, one of the tech hubs of the states. And I mean, if you look at other so-called terrorist acts, a lot of them tend to have a lot of um, planning and a lot of, whether it's explosives and so forth, but this is pretty simple attack where you just have a number of individuals with rifles that can take out a whole section of the grid. So, I mean, how realistic is protecting either a new sustainable grid or a grid with um, more environmentally friendly power like wind, water, so forth? I mean, how can this be achieved when such an act was fairly simple and, and created such havoc? Um, part of the answer, Chelsea, is uh, to make the grid um, far more segmentable, if that's a reasonable word. What I mean is um, we already understand what microgrids look like. Um, those are small grids uh, based on the principle of generating electricity near uh, to the users of electricity and confining the area that could be affected as a result by an assault to just that generation distribution and utilization um, collection. You know, when I commanded ships um, and we were moored in home port, we were connected to the grid, the overall U.S. national grid. Uh, but when I prepared to get the ship underway, we broke those connections and we lit off the propulsion plant and created the steam to drive the steam generators. And we transferred all of that electrical generation capacity to ourselves. Um, and we became the self-contained uh, contained microgrid. Um, after the San Francisco 
um, earthquake that occurred. I'm a little hazy on the dates uh, right now, but in the large um, San Francisco earthquake that happened in the East Bay Area in the vicinity of Oakland, um, a large part of the Bay Area lost power. Um, the Navy brought a, a, a nuclear-powered ship into port and hooked up the, um, pr the propulsion generation, electrical generation capability of that ship into the, the uh, local grid in the San Francisco Bay Area. Now, the ship wasn't able to take the entire load and recreate the, that produced by these enormous power plants elsewhere, but many of the vitals that needed to be uh, operating in order to provide recovery for this natural disaster in the Bay Area were supported by the ship producing power and putting it into the local distribution system. Um, what I'm, I'm hinting at here is that a large number of microgrids across the country that could be knitted into, on a regular basis, um, knitted into the overall fabric of a modern U.S. electrical grid would allow the, the principle of generate it here and use it here to apply. And when there was a disruption in one small part of the grid, it would prevent this the spread of this um, cancer effectively throughout uh, a larger portion of the grid. So microgrids are an important part of this. Another, another point I, I just glossed over there was there are real economic advantages to having the users of electricity closer to the producers. Um, the long-haul transmission of electricity uh, throughout the United States, hundreds of miles of high-tension lines, high-voltage electricity transmission lines, um, you raise the voltage so you can reduce the resistance so you can uh, limit the losses in so far as possible in, in the transmission process. But about half of the long-haul electricity generated is lost due to heat, even so, um, in the, this distant transmission. So the notion that you could use a variety of electrical generation capabilities, the small uh, portable nuclear power plants, um, uh, wind, uh, solar, uh, natural gas, to the extent you need to continue to use that, um, uh, geothermal um, and those kind of things, but to the extent that you can use the electricity um, closer to where it's produced um, will be an overall efficiency gain of enormous consequence in the new electrical grid. And there's a quote from the report that I'd like to touch on because it's very interesting and it mentions that the board recognizes the policies governing and regulating most electrical utilities are made at the state and local levels, leading to a variety of complementary and differing approaches across the United States. To this end, common standards and planning tools are crucial for proper alignment. And on this remark, this idea of, you know, a better grid, or should I say, um, self-contained grids, how, A, would this be implemented, and B, would this turn into more of a federal responsibility as opposed to state level and different utility companies? 
Sure, that's a terrific question, and it's it's obviously one that um, that has to be addressed. And we believe we took a stab at addressing it, at least putting together a context in our recommendations uh, in the report. Um, there's a limited amount, as you uh, indicate, there's a limited amount of influence that the federal government can have in this. Um, after all, most utilities are local operations. Um, the utilities are owned by different entities from the transmission lines, um, which are owned by other companies. Um, again, it's it's part of the reason that I characterize the creation of the U.S. national grid as being something that happened, not as being something designed. But um, so l- let me talk just a moment about what our recommendations are. First is um, to conduct a comprehensive risk analysis. Uh, one of the encouraging things we're hearing on the military advisory board more and more is in the general conversation about about risks to the nation. We're hearing more um, of other voices talking about the vulnerability and, and uh, lack of resilience of the U.S. national electrical grid. It's no secret to our enemies that, this, that these problems exist. It's very important that those who can do something about them become more and more attuned to their existence. So the first thing we recommend, or among the first things, is a comprehensive nationwide risk assessment. Now, this this would need some coordination from the federal level, but it absolutely would require uh, active cooperation, and I believe there would be willing cooperation from the local level, all the way from the utilities to the state utility regulators, um, all the way up to the, the federal uh, uh, energy uh, regulatory group. Um, so uh, the second thing would be with in the cooperation of all those people, develop a formal national strategy for strengthening the security and resilience of the grid through a whole government approach and not just the federal government, but state governments as well. Um, there is also uh, a system of government incentives and regulations in which utility operators have have to work. And you can imagine that they find some of those helpful and some of those unhelpful. Um, so the, the next thing might be to examine and, uh, and to set and to enact changes to government incentives and regulations that turn out to be misaligned with the kind of progress that's going to be envisioned in this national comprehensive strategy to face these risks. Um, And then we need to incorporate an advanced energy economy strategy into all the grid modernization. That is, we shouldn't go off spending billions of dollars to buy new stuff that just looks like the old stuff when we can spend that money instead to create a new energetic, self-healing, segmented grid that will accomplish the things that we know need to be done. We need to integrate a stronger and smarter planning process for adoption and rollout of new grid technologies. That needs to be something that there's a consensus built on as well. We need to conduct a quantitative, that quantitative risk analysis entirely in cooperation with everybody who's a, who's a stakeholder. Um, we need to promote the data collection analysis and transparency required uh, to allow all this to happen. Um, and then uh, the final one kind of wraps that up and it says, hey, Americans, we need to invest in the grid at a level that's commensurate with the strategic 
significance in our everyday lives. This is a no kidding strategic imperative facing us, and every day there are people out there, and there's weather brewing, um, both uh, uh, anticipating an immediate um, serious kind of damage to America's electrical grid. We should not wait until one of these probes, one of these terrorist attacks is significantly successful and a, a very large part of America is darkened and and is cold and quiet and unproductive and dangerous uh, for the people who live there. We shouldn't wait for that to happen uh, before we make the kind of changes, embark on the kind of new strategy that's needed here. I mean, as you mentioned, it's it's almost unbelievable to think that we have this system that's been around for so long, and it's something that as we touched on at the start of the show, it's it's a basic life need in, in our Western world here, the electricity and, and modern technology. It's, it's unbelievable that, you know, we're at this point and at, so vulnerable to a lot of different scenarios and perfect storms of the states going black and, and blackout and so forth. Um, and looking at that and, and the recommendations that you and the board make, do you have a time frame on how long it might take to make this new, more efficient grid using more efficient and potentially environmentally friendly energy? Do we have a time frame on something like this? Well, I sure wish we did. Um, but as you can imagine, it's it's taken us more than 100 years to get where we are. It's not going to, we're not going to dismantle and modernize the grid overnight. We, we can neither afford to, um, nor can we manage um, to do that in a way that is is not somewhat disruptive to the current flow of electricity. So um, what we need to do is get started. Um, and getting started means um, conducting the comprehensive risk assessment and putting in place collaboratively from the top to the bottom of those who have influence on electrical energy and its distribution in the United States, putting together this this overall strategy that everybody can work within. So that, because we're going to spend, Chelsea, we're spending money today. I am absolutely convinced to do something to ensure that a particular problem is solved in this or that part of the electrical grid throughout the country. I mean, today on the on the 18th, uh, we're doing that. Um, well, it's being spent today absent a risk analysis, absent an overall context for what the future grid needs to look like. Let's stop doing that. We need to understand what the principal vulnerability points are. That's the risk analysis. And when we spend our next buck, we need to spend it addressing that part, that problem. We need to make it harder tomorrow for terrorists to attack our grid than it is today. And only by doing the kind of comprehensive assessment that unfortunately they're trying to do of our system uh, to determine its vulnerability, only when we do that can we spend the money we inevitably have to spend upgrading the grid in a smart fashion. Um, but we got to get started. Uh, it's going to take it will never be 100% safe. I mean, 100 years from now, the grid has, by golly, got to look a whole lot better than it does now, but it's still going to be 
a point, a vulnerability point of some consequence. We want that consequence to be as small as possible. We want, uh, we'd, we'd like an attack on the, the power line into Lee Gunn's house to affect only Lee Gunn's house, which makes it not useful as a, as a, a, a terrorist attack point. Mm-hmm. We want to at least make Lee's neighborhood be the, the only one that goes dark while we figure out how to get it light again, everything around us is going to still be enjoying the benefits of electricity. We need to get to that point, but there'll always be some vulnerability. We need to reduce it dramatically soon, and we need to spend every dollar we spend right now upgrading the grid in a way that is, that fits into this context of getting where we need to go in terms of exploiting the, the, uh, the new IT advantages of a of electrical distribution and sensing, at the same time reducing the vulnerability to failure and attack. Well, Vice Admiral Gunn, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. That, I think, is the perfect way to wrap up the show because um, it's very strong and very wise words to end with. So I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and discussing this very important issue that I really hope the government and the electrical utility companies and everyone that makes decisions on this pays attention to. Great. Well, thank you very much, Chelsea. We appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. And we, and you and I both understand it's a critical issue. I'm sure uh, many or most of your audience does as well. And we'd be happy to continue the conversation uh, whenever the opportunity presents itself. That would be fantastic. And we will definitely post a link to the actual report, National Security and Assured U.S. Electrical Power, so that you, the listeners, can read it for yourself and mull over the subject. So thank you, Vice Admiral Gunn. And it's been a pleasure. And also thank you for your service. Thank you very much, Chelsea. Out here.